All right, it's good to be here. Just flew in from out of town. I feel like it feels like the old days. I'm just always flying in from out of town. It's been it's been good to to have a year not to do that. This is the, the least. I've been to one country this year. I went to Mexico, which when you lived in Texas, it doesn't really count. Like, <laughs> when you live in Texas, going to Mexico is like the summers. Yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> And for some people, I, I have literally walked to Mexico. Like, 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 you know, if you can walk to that country, it doesn't count. <laughs> and it's scary walking there because no one stopped, asked questions, checked my passport, or anything. That's a funny story. Coming back is different. Though. Yeah, coming back was different. But, um, <laughs> but we were we were ministering in Juarez, which just a few years ago was the most dangerous city in the world. If you guys know that, I think. They had more people killed in Juarez in one year than that in that in that year than than in Iraq or Afghanistan in the war. And it's literally just on the other side of uh, the river from El Paso. And uh, so we were going to go minister at this house of prayer. You know, it was exciting. It's exciting to you like about to get there. Like a few days before, like, man, we're going. And then you get there, you're like, dude, this is so dumb. But but, and I'm going to get into this, you know, if we really want to do something for the Lord and we want to live comfortably, you're not really going to do anything for the Lord. Come on. Like, thank God Jesus didn't choose comfort because if he chose comfort, he wouldn't have died on the cross. Amen. Yeah. Right? But anyways, um, we, we're, they're supposed to drive us from El Paso. We flew in El Paso and they're going to drive us into Juarez to go preach at this church. And so I'm just sitting around, <laughs> just sitting around. I was so stressed. I went in and I got a massage. True story. I was like, oh, God. But because, like, my friends there, like, they would wake up every morning and there would be decapitated heads just on the fence post. Like, like in the morning. Drug trafficking. Yeah, drug trafficking. Like, you go get your newspaper and there's just, like, ten strangers' heads just on the fence post. And so, you know, you, I, I knew what, where I was going. And so we're just sitting at the church. And I'm just praying, like, oh, Lord, don't let me, like, supposed to leave this thing. And so they're like, we're not driving today. Thank God. Like the guy who's supposed to drive you guys, he can't go. So, so what are we doing? It's like, we're going to drop you off at the border. And you guys are going to walk across the bridge. And I'm waiting for like, just kidding. We would never let you do that. Because <laughs> you're like a kidnap candidate. You're worth a lot more than we are. But no, they weren't kidding. And so they, they literally dropped us off at the border. It was just like, this is amazing. So we walked across the border into Juarez, and it's amazing. On one side, it is America. Walmart, you know, uh, uh, Whataburger, you're from Texas, you know about that. And so you're like, and then you literally walk like 10 minutes, and it's like third world. Like that. And it's, at that time, it was the most dangerous city in the world. It was worse than any city in the Middle East. And we're just like with our luggage, <laughs> a baseball hat, <laughs> New Balance sneakers, going across the bridge, <laughs> you know, and 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 then they're like, you're just gonna sit in a park, and a van will come to pick you up. <laughs> this is like, you know, so we did it. We did it because, you know, and, and we're gonna get into, it, but it's part of it, guys. If your Christianity doesn't cost you anything, it's not real. And so anyway, so we're, we're in the park, and this van just comes speeding down the street, 
and just stops. And the guy just opens up the door. There's no seats. And he just goes, get in. Now, they didn't introduce themselves. I've never been to this church. I don't know anybody over there. And I'm just with like, actually, Zeke was with me and a few other people. And we're just sitting there. And, it's, and these guys just open up the door. They're like, get in. <laughs> and whether they're the church or not, I'm definitely getting in this van. A, if it's the church, I want to get out of here. B, if it's not the church, you're going to exterminate all of us and like chop us up in a million pieces. And so we get in the van, and I'm like, how? Like, I need to figure out very quickly is this a kidnapping or are we on our way to lunch with the pastor? Like, it's like one of two extremes. There's no in between. Like, this is like, I'm going to be worth $15 million or nothing. And I'm just going to go eat talk. Or 20. Or like 20 million? Or at least 20. At that time, well, it's gone up. At that time, probably would be 15. But anyway, I don't think Trump was president yet. Okay, so. Was a joke. He was president. I don't know why Trump was president. But anyways, we, 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 we get in, and the guy's like, Pastor, we're so honored that you're here. I just was like, what hell happens in this van? And uh, this is funny. We're, so we're staying at this church, and uh, the like, well, this was another city just close by. We're staying there. They didn't tell us the youth, that anybody else was staying at the building. We're staying in there. No one tells us that anyone else is staying there. So I'm laying in bed, and I've got a friend of mine staying with me. I never stay in hotels alone. And I just, we just sit here and just banging on the door. So we were in the second worst neighborhood in the whole country of Mexico. I didn't know that until I got there. And you just hear this banging on the door. I'm like, hey. And my face is on posters all over the city. Like, hey, you need a quick 15, 20 million? There's a guy staying here. This is what he looks like. He's got long curly hair. Always sounds like Macho Man or any savage when he preaches. So, you know, he's, he's here for four days. This is where he is. You want, you know. So we hear this like banging on the door, and I'm like, this is it. They found me. I'm just thinking of everything they're gonna do in the next few hours and you know, cover. And I just hear this banging, pop, 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 like just slamming on the door. And the door opens, and I'm just like, okay, Lord. Just like just sitting at the edge of the bed, like just ready. <laughs> so I don't want to resist to these guys. I'm nice. And I just hear all these people talking. Then I hear somebody coming up the steps really slowly. And I'm like, oh God. Like, how do you prepare to get kidnapped? That's really what's going on. This is a true story. It's what's going through my head. And it was just a guy that lived in the apartment above us. And they forgot to tell us that anyone else was standing there. I didn't say that. But anyways, let's talk about the Moravians. Is that exciting? Much as, I, as much as I've, I, I, I've really enjoyed COVID recently, oh my God, you, you start missing. It's like weird. You, you miss that. It's like it's like it's like it's like the rush of life. There have been a few times I thought we were going to die, and and, and we're paying to go there. We're paying these guys. Hey, you're not going to come. That's your death experience. But I'll just tell you this really quick for those of you who don't know me. Like 16, 15 years ago. I, I was like a borderline Satanist. I was like totally, totally anti-Jesus, hated the Lord. We got radically saved, and I remember like 15, 16 years old, I just had this thought. I said, I already don't have a reputation. I might as well not try to get one and use it for my advantage. And you know, for the last, I don't know how many years, we've been, you know, we've been going for it. And I've been provoked because we've had this year to just kind of stop and, and re-evaluate 
And so, and when Dave talked about, you know, this heirloom series, immediately I was like, we've got to do the marine. And, and re beginning to re-look at some of the things that, you know, usually this is like a normal part of our lives. And this year we've just been on like a wrestle time, which is awesome. we got a baby coming. But honestly, my prayer this morning is I want to provoke us this morning. So what I really want to do, I want to provoke us. I want to provoke us with this. We, uh, I remember we were somewhere in Texas ministry, and we happened to find the, the cemetery where Keith Green and Leonard Ravenhill are buried. Yeah. It was, it, it was in Tyler, Texas, and we just were just literally driving right by it. And so we pulled in, and it's amazing. On Leonard Ravenhill's tombstone, on the other side, the front side, it's, you know, Leonard Ravenhill, the day. On the other side of the tombstone, it says, is what you are living for worth Jesus dying for? Just let that sink in for a second. Is what or is our lifestyle of following Jesus? Is if 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 Alan, I've been provoked, I've been starting to travel again and teach, and I've been provoked by understanding that worship and our life of worship is our testimony of the worth of God. Yeah. And so I've been provoked with this again in a, in a whole fresh new way. It does my lifestyle reflect Jesus' value? Not my theology. Not how many Tom White quotes I have under my belt. But really, like, if, if, if we took a look at it, and don't feel condemned by this, feel provoked by this. If the Lord really just took account of our lives, does our life, are we living in pursuit of what he's worth? Yeah. It's a provoking thing. And so I wanna, we're going to talk about the Moravians. I'm going to introduce them here in a second and give a little bit of context. But essentially, the Moravians were a community of people living. Uh, uh, uh. Now, listen, we, I came up here at 1120. We're probably going to go a little late today. I am honest with you. I'm not a typical pastor. I'm long-winded, so just hold your horses. <laughs> Amen. If I were a Native American, my name would be Longwind. <laughs> Some people are standing bears. I'm Longwind. Okay. In many ways. Okay. So who are the Moravians? They were a community of believers based in modern-day Germany. There's no such thing as Germany in the 1700s. They were from Moravia. They were a community of people committed to the unity of the brethren. This is important. We're going to look at this here in a second. Now, and also, Dave is so good at creating slides. Yeah, I'm just trying to get it. Okay. <laughs> I just, I just hope I like remember to balance. All right. So it's a community of people centered around unity of the brethren, 24/7 prayer, and global missions. Yeah. Okay. Now here's what's amazing. We're talking pre-1800. So. Union of the Brethren, 24-7 prayer, and global mission. And these guys are actually going to begin one of the most incredible, not only prayer cultures, but missions culture in history, probably up until IHOP in 99 and then YWAM in the 70s, which is, YWAM, if you don't know this, it's the largest missions organization in the history of the world. It's, it's, it's amazing. But these guys, these Moravians, are these amazing people. Now, I just want to give a little, little, thing here. Do you know that the church has an amazing rich history of 24-7 prayer? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. This is so important that we understand this. 
And I want to provoke us with this. When God thought about prayer being a part of the culture of the people of God, he did not envision an hour-long prayer meeting where five people from the church come to once a week. If you want the biblical model of prayer, it's 24 hours a day. King David established 24-7 prayer and worship. And do you know that since that time, there have been groups of people, we're talking about 3,000 year long tradition of day and night, unceasing live prayer and worship. And it's been happening all over the globe for 3,000 years. I mean, right now in Kansas City, they, they, uh, 21 years, they've gone 21 years, and they've done 24-7 live prayer, live worship, and it has never stopped. Right now in America, it's like literally it is happening. Do you know that there are houses of prayer in Iraq just a few miles from ISIS? Do you know that? Uh, a few a few hundred years ago, uh, in, in Ireland, the the, the, the monks of the, uh, in Bangor Island, they did 300 years of non-stop prayer. Every hour, every minute, every second, somebody was praying, and the watch of the Lord stayed alive for 300 years. They prayed more hours than America has been a country. Woo! I would just let that sink in right now. And by the way, there were Catholics. Do you know that Catholics have been more faithful to pray than Protestants? Do you know that it's really not until recently that Protestants really adopted prayer as a culture? And did you know that right now that the prayer movement in Italy is being backed by the Pope? Did, no, for real. Like literally, Pope Francis commissioned a Protestant leader, a friend of mine, to build up 24-7 prayer across the nation of Italy. What if God used the foolish things of this world to confound the wise? Wouldn't that be offensive if God used the Pope to ignite revival in Italy? It'd be offensive. I wouldn't be offended, but most of us would. So the Moravians, they do this. So what happens is uh, the Moravians show up on the scene uh, right around the 15th century, many scholars consider them to be the first Protestants. It started by a guy by the name of Jan Hus. And we're not going to spend too much time on that time period. I just want to give you a little bit of history. So they, they begin right after the Protestant, right before the Protestant Reformation. They live in Moravia and they flee to Saxon. All this today is modern day Germany, but at that time it was multiple countries. They're fleeing Catholic persecution. And their original name was Unitas Fratum. Which literally meant the unity of the brethren. This is, this is going to be a huge factor into Moravian culture. Is fighting for the unity of the brethren. In that culture, church isn't just a building you go to with strangers you see once a week. Church was community living. You knew in a very deep and profound way the people you went to Sunday morning service with. This is really important that we get this. Let's keep going. So their motto, well, if I, if I did a good job with the other slides, whatever. I never did slides in college or high school, even when I was supposed to, and I graduated with an A minus. So it really wasn't worth it. Okay, so their motto, it's a, it's a lamb holding up a flag, and this is their motto. Our lamb 
has conquered, let us follow him. This is, this is the slogan. This is the model. This is what they're living by. Our lamb has conquered, let us follow him. So we're going to look at that a little bit here in a century. So what we're going to focus on is when uh, uh, the Moravians come under the leadership of Count, this is a great name, Ludwig van Zinzendorf. <laughs> Count Ludwig van Zinzendorf comes into the scene in 1722 and he takes over the group and it was, there was a few of them, but Zinzendorf is really going to be uh, 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 the main voice in what God's going to get ready to do in this era. 1722. So in 1727, they have uh, uh, what's very typical in church is an argument, a disagreement about something. And as our dear friend from uh, the Middle East said, they were about to adopt the great Western church planting model. Argument, church split, now you have two new churches in the city. And then they argue, and then you have another church, and then you're like, why are there so many churches in the city? Because there's that, that, that much opinion in the city. And so Zinzendorf is really grieved. This is amazing. He's so grieved over this. He's going to give himself for these next few months to, to make sure that there isn't a divide, that there isn't a split in the community. And so, thank God it doesn't happen. And so he uh, 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 brings forth what he creates, May 12, 1727, uh, called the Brotherly Agreement. So they create this Brotherly Agreement. And uh, David and I were talking about this during worship. You know that a big message of theirs was brotherly love. Yep. Friends, you know, we're talking about heirloom seeds. We're talking about redigging those old wells of revival. There is a well that needs to be redug in Philadelphia, and it's called Brotherly Love. And, and let me say this, I love Thomas Merton says something so profound. He says, Christian maturity is not going to be determined by how much information you have. Just wow. Christian maturity is going to be determined by your ability to love people that no longer seem worth it. Come on. Yep. If your only friends are Republicans, then you haven't found the love of Jesus yet. If you only fellowship with Republicans, and I'm speaking because I think predominantly, predominantly we're all Republicans here. If the only people we're fellowshipping with voted for Donald Trump or whoever you voted for, we don't understand unity of the brethren yet. And this is a concept that's going to be the very foundation of all the massive things that they're going to do. And it's this, when Jesus prepares a table in a city, Everybody is invited. Come on. Friends, if we were in charge, if the American church today was in charge of the guest list of the Lord's Supper, probably a good portion of the people there would not have been invited, including Judas. But there's, there's this radical lifestyle, friends, that God is calling us to live to, that the, the one disciple outside of John that Jesus ever calls friend is the one that's going to betray him. Not only does he call him friend, he actually calls Judas a cup to be received from my father. Amen. Wow. Let's let that sink in. This isn't just a guy that has a doctrinal disagreement with him. This is the guy that Jesus says that Satan has entered this man 
He's going to sell Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. But he calls him in the hour of persecution. Judas kisses Jesus and he doesn't say, you liberal or whatever. Or you, you, you bigot. He's his friend. You betray the son of man with the kiss. Are we living the sort of lifestyle that we could call our betrayer a friend? But God isn't impressed with like our miracle ministry. In Matthew 7, Jesus sends people with miracle ministries to help. Mm. He sends people with high-level evangelistic and prophetic gifts to help. Because and he says the reason is, is we don't really know each other. You got the gifting, but you don't know me because if you knew me, you'd call your enemy a friend. And so this is going to be the foundation of what we're going to get into here. And it begins with a man who's going to fight hard to maintain the unity of the brethren. God loved with Ben Zinzin's or so. In May, they create the Brothers Agreement. And they call this the linchpin of the great renewal. So then in August 13, 1727, the community undergoes a dramatic transformation. I'm reading this to you because... The inhabitants of Herna, this is, this is the direct quote. They, they, they have a revival and it begins with this. And this is from Zinzendorf. They learned to love one another. Yeah. That, that's, when you ask, if Ludwig van Zinzendorf were here, and you said, how did you guys have this hundred year long, hundred year long revival? Not four weeks and everybody burnt out. Hundred year long revival. And the linchpin is we just learned to love. When we actually care about the person next to us to the point that we were willing to inconvenience ourselves for our neighbor, God saw it fit. Now you're going to revive. Yeah. Yeah, really. Amen. That, that was it. That was the moment. The Lord looks down at these guys and now you're ready for glory. It's the whole Psalm 133 principle, how good yep. and pleasant it is for people to go to church and sit next to each other once a week and never talk. <laughs> Friends, what we have is a unity of the brethren. What we have is a social club. It's what we have. But something changed, and it wasn't, they didn't, it didn't begin, the, the byproduct of the revival is going to be the prayer meeting, and we're going to get into that. But the linchpin of the revival was unity and brotherly love. Come on. Yeah. That's right. Amen. But God is waiting for the church of Philadelphia to learn brotherly love again. Come on. That's right. I, I just do this for a second. Who wants to see revival in Philadelphia? Great. Now look at the person next to you. Don't look at your spouse. Look at a stranger. Look at the person next to you. Good. God, so, so here's the recipe, right? We're going we're gonna to tap into this early seed. You've got to learn to really love that person you just looked at. And that's what will make us ready for the Amen. Okay? Anybody getting stirred up? Yeah. Let's keep going. So here's what happens. So in uh, August 1727, they said they learned to love one another. And then they had a major encounter with the Holy Spirit. Similar to the book of Acts where God moved in such a mighty way, it stirred this community into a hundred year long culture of 24-7 prayer and global missions. Yeah. 
Guys, this is like pre-worship seating. <laughs> this is like pre-everything. This is pre-soaking, thank God. I mean, this is pre, you know, there's no conferences. There's no Facebook lives. These people are so rocked by God. They understand we have to go pray. So let's look at some of these aspects and we'll jump into some scriptures here. Is that cool? Yeah. So let's keep going. So there's, uh, 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 there's going to be five major things that are going to be established as a result of this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And here's the first one, permittings. Notice this. The byproduct of their revival was not five services a week. The byproduct of the great revival in Bangor, Ireland is not five services a week. It was 24-7 prayer. People did not fall in love with good preaching. They fell in love with God and they fell in love with one another. Come on. Friends, it is time as a, as a church that we learn to fall in love with God again. Yeah. This has been my prayer this whole year. Lord, I don't want to just be interested in you. Yeah. And I think sometimes we get excited about being interested in God. But friends, how many of you know God wants to provoke us with love? I was talking to a friend of mine this weekend. We were just so moved to jealousy over the story of Phineas. Phineas, do you know that God is so moved? By the worship of Phineas, that he gives him an eternal, a perpetual priesthood. Somebody probably have no idea what I just said. I don't either. But it's what it says. But it's just Phineas is in the camp. It's men married to Moabite women. And God's striking the camp. And Phineas gets up and he picks up a spear and he spears the man and the woman and kills them. And immediately God stops the play. Yes. Amen. Our pacifist little God. And God is so touched by this. That touched God. And God, he moves and he says, oh, this guy gets it. He's not just interested in me. He's not even just excited about me. He's actually jealous with my jealousy. And he says, I'm going to give him a lineage of priests and they'll be here forever. So these guys fall in love with God. So they began a continuous watch of prayer that is uninterrupted. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and it goes on for 100 years. Just let that sink in for a second. And now it's easy to do 24 7 prayer. You got like prophetic worship, harp and ball, and the musicians, and the singers, no music. They're just, they would come into this bar, this room, it was like cement ground, and they would just lay flat on the floor and pray for an hour. And then when that person was done, the next person would come and lay next to them. And then when that person was come, the next person. And they did this in a circle. After 100 years, when you go to that room, you could see in the cement, in the hard ground, the indentation of their bodies in the ground from the fervency of their prayers. But if we're not talking about that, we're just like, oh, Lord, pay my rent, which I hope he does. It'd be good, you know, kicked out of your apartment. But this was fervent. These guys were so fervent. The ground that they prayed on was shaken. And I hear this all the time. Well, Philadelphia is hard ground. Hard ground. Then pray harder. It's so tough 
fear. Then start praying in such a way that has the ability to break through the hardness. These guys yeah. weren't just breaking through the spiritual hardness. They were literally breaking through the very hardness of the ground. Friends, I'm telling you, this provokes me to jealousy. What are we doing in our prayer lives? Amen. Yeah. Hundred years, 24 hours a day, intentional, focused prayer and intercession before the Lord. And what's going to happen is that out of this prayer culture, two things. They're going to maintain the unity of the brethren. And number two, they're going to begin one of the greatest missions movement in, in, in church history. Because here's the deal. You cannot develop a vibrant prayer life and not love what God loves. Come on, that's right. I want you to get this this morning. It is impossible. You cannot spend hours before the Lord gazing on beauty in intercession and prayer and not begin to naturally love what He loves and begin to hate what He hates. People, how can I get free from this? Go get a prayer life. Why don't you get delivered from pornography? Start praying. Pray hours a day. Give yourself to prayer. Gaze on beauty. Gaze on glory. Give hours of your day into the beauty realm. And I'm telling you, you're going to love what you see on the sea of glass more than you see on a computer screen. Come on. Oh, Lord. And they're provoked by this. Oh, God, raise up. 24-7 prayer here in our city. Yeah. But raise up intercessors. Raise up people of prayer. And Lord, don't let it begin in a meeting. Let it begin at home. Come on. Second thing they did is they started what's, what was called the Daily Watch Words. And it was an annual global devotional publication. So 24-7 prayer. Again, this devotional publication. Third thing is they established more than 30 settlements that were uh, in, uh, internationally, uh, uh, they're all over the globe, and they were based on the Hearn Hunt model. We're gonna we're gonna end today talking about missions here in a second. Well, not in a second, in a few minutes. I'm not gonna lie to you. It'll be a bit. So, and if you're hungry, I didn't eat breakfast. You'll be okay. Fasting is powerful. <laughs> Jesus didn't eat for 40 days. You can go 40 minutes. Amen. Amen. Good news is Wallow will be there. <laughs> I mean, even if the whole country collapsed, y'all know McDonald's is going to survive. <laughs> McDonald's is like mold. So is going to be there. Termite. Oh. <laughs> termite. Yeah, termite. Cockroach. It's like cockroach. McDonald's like cockroach. You can set your house on fire. You've lost everything. That roach is going to walk away. <laughs> Smoking a cigarette, and then you're like, Billy's hat, just leave it. Yeah. Things survive. Like, they're like, all of them, like when Hiroshima, like, those still the roaches are like, what if? Yeah. Still, they still got up and went to work. You can get up and go to work. Okay. Anyway. I forget why I didn't say it. Oh yeah, don't be hungry. It's okay. Fat thing's good for you. Alright? You can roll a McDonald's fast. Okay, so 30, so they start these 30 different settlements internationally based on the herd model. That model. So what is it? Number one, they emphasize prayer and worship to so again. Every single settlement that they have, 30 different ones around the world. By the way, one of them is called Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Come on. Do you know yeah. that we're right by one of those heirloom seeds? Literally a seed was dropped from the ground. We'll get into that in a second. But whenever they established a culture, the first thing they did is began a 24-7 per culture. So imagine 
a church planting strategy where the first thing you do to plant your church is begin 24-7 prayer. I mean, imagine what would happen in our cities. We wouldn't have to, we wouldn't have to convince people to like Jesus. It takes a lot of work to have a service to get people to like God, but God isn't at. So everywhere they go, all over the globe, first thing they do is they establish 24-7 prayer and worship. The second thing they do is they establish a form of communal living. We'll get into this in a second. I'm sure you'll be so excited about coming. In which simplicity of lifestyle and generosity of wealth were to be considered important spiritual attributes. Say that again. So, uh, uh, so, so it's communal living in which simplicity of lifestyle. In other words, it's this. When material things don't hold you, you have no problem giving them away. Amen. Number two, generosity with wealth. Okay? So these were two important principles of their community. Here's, here's a few little, little nuggets for us. So the, there's five purposes to these communities. The first one is to assist the members, the people living in these communities, in the sanctification of their lives. Holiness was a major point, part of their message. Yeah. The first thing they're emphasizing outside of prayer and a simple lifestyle. And let me give you a good way to understand simple lifestyle. I remember the Lord said it to me like this. If you can live simply, it'll free you up to worship extravagantly. Mm. Amen. That's good. And so their goal is they want to see the people within these communities sanctified. They actually want to see people live holy. Now here's an important deal. If you want to be a part of a community like this, you actually have to be intentional. You actually have to be open, and there has to be deep relationship. Number two, uh, it provides a meeting place for Christians from different confessional backgrounds. They become like the original parachurch organization. They become a hub for the Episcopalians and the Presbyterians and the Catholics. Uh, all these different groups, now they're coming near these guys to experience the fire of the Holy Spirit. And here's the important thing, not so they can leave their organizations and become Arabian, so they can take the fire to their That's right. Let's keep going. The third thing is uh, uh, that they wanted to provide Christian training for their own children and the children of their friends and supporters. So, I love this. Immediately, a major factor in Moravian culture is discipling the next generation. Come on. Yeah. Can I tell you something funny? We've got this guy right now. You guys ever heard of David Hogan? Oh, yeah. yeah. Brother Hogan. He's just crazy. Yeah. This crazy old redneck. They've raised 500 people from the dead. Really? <laughs> I'm not lying. No, he's buried like 15,000 because they're in like the most dangerous parts of Mexico. Yeah. They've raised, documented legitimately, 500 people from the dead. Uh, praise God. Right, he's, I mean, this guy's crazy. I mean, this, tell, tell me the apostle story. Yeah, so I'll tell you this. This guy hands up a business card. Now, he just goes by Brother Hogan. He's all Brother Hogan. Yeah. He's raised yeah. 500 people from the dead. This guy's one more than just Brother Hogan. But he just goes to my brother, okay, and this guy hands him a business card and says, Apostle so-and-so. I say, his name, you know it. He says, Apostle? He says, how many, he's remarkable. How many people you raised from the dead? He <laughs> says, well, we have a large church network. Blah, blah, blah. And he goes, you ain't an apostle. You're just a guy with a business card. He <laughs> 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 and, 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 and it's crazy, when they pray for sick people, he's just like, Jesus, heal me. 
And then he just walks away. <laughs> and he people. Now here's what's amazing about him. He was preaching at a church. I just, I love this. He says, what are y'all teaching at your children's church? He said this in a really famous church. I said, they're going to do it too. What are y'all teaching? About a purple dinosaur and dumb lords? He said, we're teaching our kids to raise the dead. Because most of the time, they're not going to pray for the parents who are killed by the car telling them Wow. Right? I said this the other day. I, let me just provoke you with this. With the whole children training thing. King David writes the book of Psalms. But his legacy is such that his son writes the song of all songs. But here's what I'm saying. David, we always attribute David to worship, but it's his, and, and all the great songs, the sweet songs of Israel, but it's his son that writes the greatest song. And they understood this, this thing lasted for a hundred years, not because they had a marketing campaign, but because they actually raised up children that wanted to give themselves to this lifestyle. Amen. And I want to provoke us with this. And I'm saying this. If somebody's about to become a father in the next kid, could be tonight. Hopefully not. It could be. I think it's going to be great. But, you know, it's going to get a car seat inside. <laughs> you, know, you know, and somebody's about to be a father. And I have to ask myself this question. Am I living this sort of life? Will my children want to worship my God? Are my children, is Josephine 18, 20 years from now, when she looks at my life, is she going to want my God or is she going to go after another? Amen. Is she going to grow up sitting in the front row hearing me preach and I'm preaching this great meal's message, but she knows that what I'm preaching doesn't match my lifestyle. How do you get a movement to last a hundred years? You raise up children that want to pay the same price you do. Come on. My dad taught us to love baseball so much, we were willing to pay a stupid price for baseball. Yeah. We weren't allowed to be afraid of the ball, so we'd have to stand in the park and let him pelt us with balls. We were willing to pay the price because we wanted to be good at hitting. I never got good at hitting, <laughs> but I should say I hit my lot of balls. If my dad loves me. Okay. <laughs> but guys, let me ask you, but let me, just real quick. I, I'm not trying to harp on this, but I feel God on this. Or is, is our Christian, are we just putting an iPad in front of them and saying, watch YouTube? Come on. That's right. Is this it? We're going to raise up a whole generation of children that can't focus for five minutes and are addicted to Mountain Dew? Wow. That's right. Friends. I love you. You have a great, you have a cute look. Do you understand? I have been around so many of the big ministers and their kids want nothing to do with what they're doing. Come on. Yeah. Amen. I don't want an impartation from that guy. I want an impartation from the guy from whose kid is in disillusioned with God. Amen. I want an impartation from the guy whose kid not only is in disillusioned with God, he actually likes his dad and wants to be like they, they lasted a hundred years because they parented. Not tolerated. Let's go to the next one. So, what are these communities doing? The fourth thing is this. They provided support for Moravian mission work throughout the world. We're going to look into that in a second. And the fifth is this. As a result, they live in these communities. They sell a, a person. They, they kept their personal property, but divisions between social economic groups, extreme wealth and poverty were largely eliminated. Just because you were wealthy 
and the guy next to you was poor, there was no difference in anything in how you lived. The wealthy guy didn't sit in the front and the poor guy in the back. And if you were wealthy, you understood that you were wealthy and that wealth meant you had a responsibility to take care of the poor among you. It's not the government's job, it's the church's job. And if we're wondering why the government is trying to impede, it's because the church is hoarding its wealth. I've got a friend of mine who's a really famous minister. I keep telling you, but you know, I don't want to put people out there, but this guy's a good guy. He's, he, he's actually a multi, multi-millionaire. Multi-millionaire. He sold a lot of books. His wife has written but he told the Lord that he would only live off $100,000 a year, and every other penny that he gives back, he just gives it to the Lord. Amen. Yeah. That's awesome. Just gives it to the Lord. He lives in a $75,000 duplex in the ghetto. Amen. Praise God. This guy's a millionaire. And he's here because he understands this, these, these principles. That's right. Let's keep going. So the, the Moravians are going to be the first Protestant church body to be, begin missionary work. They're the first Protestant missionaries in the world. So they're the first ones to send out missionaries within 30 years. Within 30 years, so starting from 1727, uh, when, when, they, when they had the renewal, so by the time they get to 1757, they've sent out hundreds of Christian missionaries to the Caribbean, North and South America, the Arctic, Africa, and the Far East. First missionary. Let's keep going. They become the first Protestant denomination to actually minister to slaves. Come on. Yeah. Amen. So let's get this. And for us, they are living in a culture where a black person is considered a piece of property, but they view them the way God does. Come on, man. This is like revolutionary. I mean, this is like, you want to talk about countercultural? You want to talk about not the norm? To look at a people that people see as property and say, no, they're not property. I was so wrecked. We were talking about Mother Teresa this past week. Do you know what she did? Do you know what her whole mission was? She's famous, right? You know what her mission was? She was in India. She got assigned to go to India. And in India, they have a caste system. And there were these people called the untouchables. They're not allowed to be touched. They've never been. Can you imagine never having been hugged? And they live in the street. And, and this person was dying. And she saw that they were dying. And she's holding on to this person. And she's begging for help. And nobody would come help. And, and everybody just walked by. If you've never been to India, I mean, it's crazy the amount of people walking in the street. The, the, the person dies. And she finds out that they're untouchables and people just leave them to die. And she has it in her heart. She says, she says it's unjust that anybody should die alone. So she made it her mission to make sure that people did not die alone. And she became one of the most powerful figures in human history. You want to be a powerful movement? Don't leave out the marginalized in pursuit of your vision. If the people that are if the people that are inconvenienced to society are also an inconvenience to the church, then friends, I'm telling you, we're in Babylon. Go on. If the people that have been marginalized by society are also marginalized by the church, friends, we're not being led by Jesus. We're being led by Herod. In New York, the converted Mohican people formed the first Native American Christian congregation in the United States. They start the first Native American church pre-American revolution. Yep. 
1741, a small community was led to found a mission in the colony of Pennsylvania. <laughs> and they started the first Wawa. <laughs> and the rest is history. That's how they funded the whole movement. And there were and two missionaries were sent, one named Pat and one named Gino. <laughs> Pat got married and had a son named Steve. And Pat's the king and Steve's the prince. Anyway, <laughs> did you like that there? I love it. Done, right? and Pat and Gino were sent in and they're like, an angel came. Yeah, an angel came with today. If you take meat, put it in bread, and put cheese on it, it'll change history. And they did, and now we have the American church. Okay. <laughs> Guys, I always want to tell you, whoever decided to make a cheese stick, God showed up. Amen. <laughs> that was a divine moment. He's, he had like bread, meat, and cheese, and the Lord's like, I'm going to hook you up. <laughs> that was one of those, you know you're a friend of God. Like, if you put all those things together, see, if you took unity, bread, <laughs> prayer, meat, missions, cheese, boom! <laughs> you have the first uh, uh, capital of America. There you go. 1741, they, they, they lead us and found this uh, mission in the colony of Pennsylvania. The mission was established on Christmas Eve. So they had a little Christmas gift for Jesus. It was a town called Bethlehem. It's Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And Bethlehem, Pennsylvania becomes the first Moravian settlement. Do, do, you, do, you, do you know what? How far is Bethlehem from here, Jamie? Uh, an hour. Do you know that an hour from here? Like a hundred and something years ago, they were praying 24 hours a day. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know an hour from here, pre-revolution, they're praying 24 hours a day? Do you understand that an hour from here, they had a hub of global missions here in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania? Do you guys understand that we have an invitation, that it doesn't just have to be a history story. We can untap that well of prayer and missions. And they began to minister to the Lenape people. It's Council Rock is literally right to school named after the rock that they would meet. Friends, the school is named after the very people, the Moravian, their ministry. We are standing. Friends, we're like Elijah on Mount Carmel. It's time to rebuild the fallen altars. And it's not more church services. It's more prayer meetings. Yeah. We're going to talk about this. It's, it's the willingness to be inconvenienced for a moment in 1772. All pre-revolution, the first civilized settlement of what later became Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, occurred when a Moravian missionary arrived there. A Moravian missionary comes from Germany with 241 Native American missionaries from Delaware. The first time Native Indians are going to be missionaries is they come with Moravians and they're missionaries from Delaware to Pennsylvania. They take, I mean, can, can, can just hear this for a second. It's the first time Americans are gonna be missionaries. It's these true Americans. Americans. True Americans. Like Hulk Hogan. You know <laughs> But just think about this. Guys, Pennsylvania, we literally got Native American missionaries on our soil preaching the gospel to other Europeans and Native Americans. You want, like it's like when we talk about Muslims provoking the Jews to jealousy, could you imagine a Native American preaching the gospel to a Catholic European? Amen. Praise God. 
Come on. Can you imagine 24 7 prayer and the guy praying is a Native American? Can you imagine when the mission field become the missionaries? After forming, this is many hundreds of small renewal groups operating within existing churches of Europe. So they actually start these, they, they send people as missionaries to other churches. Amen. Go, to the, go to the Episcopalian church, go to the Presbyterian church. And their job is just, because here's what happens. You, everybody in my church is so dry, the city's so dry. Well, you know what happens when dry things get touched? Get touched by fire, they get caught on fire. Yeah. Maybe the reason there isn't any fire is not because your church is dead, it's because you don't have any. Because anytime, just light a lighter next and put it on something dry. Amen. You don't have to beg it to catch on fire. It won't have a choice. Amen. <laughs> so they start sending people to like the mainline denominational churches. They were called diaspora societies. These groups, they would go to these churches to help encourage personal prayer and worship, Bible study, confession of sins, and mutual accountabilities. These are missionaries to other churches to spark fires of revival. You know what this means? That when you have this mindset, you understand that the church down the street isn't your competition, it's a mission field. Why is there revival coming in my city? Because you're only praying for your church. You're not after revival in your city, you're after revival in your home. What if, what if God came and said, I'll send revival, but it's going it's to start at that church. Would you be willing to shut up even down and go there? True. Well, that'll determine are you serving Jesus or are you serving him? Let's look at a few things here. Can we do that? Just a few more minutes. Is that cool? Probably why. <laughs> Let's go to Acts chapter 15. Because we're about to get into, I just, I want to look at a few things and I want to end with some of them, just talking about their missions. Acts what? Acts chapter 15. Amen? I speak Cuban Spanish, which is the equivalent of Cajun English. Is, it, is that true, Cajun English, right? Like Cajun English, it's like, what's going on? Yeah. And the deeper you get into the swamps, it's like half gator and half English. <laughs> half crawfish, half English. Wow. When's the last time you had that two fit? Never. Never. Crawfish world. So here's, here's, what, here's, what, here's the point I want to make here. So we have to say that God has actually established an eternal principle and strategy to see the nations of the earth impacted by the gospel and the kingdom of Jesus. And it's not necessarily more preaching, it's more prayer. Amen. Well, it begins with that, right? And so what happens is we try to do it backwards. Let it, you know, God is going to, we're going to be, especially as we get closer to the time of the Lord's coming, we are going to see these vibrant prayer and worship communities raised up all over the globe. And I'm telling you, many of them are going to be 24-7. And the closer we get to the end of the age, we are going to see a heightened uh, 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 response. And we're going to see more 24-7 prayer than any other time in history. God's strategy for dealing with principality and powers is prayer meetings. It's worship. It's music. It's songs. It's the tabernacle of David. We're going to look at this here in a second. So what's going to happen is the culture of prayer and worship 
It's going to cause the body of Christ to seek the Lord in a very deep and profound way. I mean, when you start praying hours a day, it goes beyond pay my bills, give me an increase, and Lord, let me find out what happened to the aliens. It's going to, it gets deeper, and then what happens is we start praying for our cities what God is praying for us. Our prayer language begins, it's like a little kid, right? It's like I talk to my niece Hannah. She just says, yeah, all the time. Yeah, yeah, but one day she's going to be an educated adult and she's going to be able to speak a whole, uh, like a whole dictionary of words and it's the same thing. Some of us were just saying, yeah, 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 da-da, yeah, da-da, yeah. And the next thing you know, you've developed into this prayer language and now you're praying things on Thursday night in your prayer closet, Friday morning, it's head by news. Let that sink in for a second. We're going to look at this. I know I keep saying that, but we really are. <laughs> so then we're going to we're going to we're going to have a, a, these communities. Why not in Bristol of prayer and worship? And we're going to be very deep, profound. And the byproduct is going to be a church anointed with power, captivated by beauty, that will love what God loves and hate what God hates. Who wants authority over demons? Who wants authority over sick people? Who wants have to literally pray and see nations shaken? Good. You know how you get that kind of authority? Not at a conference. I'm not anti-conference. We've led massive conferences with thousands of people around the world. I'm not anti-conference. You want to know how you get authority? Go to the prayer closet. Amen. Skip a few meals. Start worshiping. The deeper you go in intimacy, the higher you go in authority. Yeah. Let's keep going. So what we're going to see is from these prayer rooms, from these worship communities, from places like Philadelphia, Tabernacle of David, these nonstop prayer and worship communities, people are going to begin to be broken for lost people. Because you're going to love what he loves. But we're going to be thrusted out into the harvest. Some of us, we're going to be sent down the street. Some of you are going to be sent to nations. Do you know that there is a prophecy of a great end time harvest? I know Mike Bickle always hits on this. Bob Jones prophesied that before the coming of the Lord, there would be a billion soul harvest in one generation. One? Could you imagine? Friends, that's not going to happen because we learned how to preach God. It's going to happen because we went into prayer closets and we prayed. And we learned how to sing out the new song of the Lord. And we began to give ourselves in this place. Friends, the billion soul harvest isn't waiting for a date. It's waiting for a permit. So the problem is that we're just wanting strong gospel proclamation. We want signs and wonders, but we want to do these things with a weak prayer life. Yeah, really. Amen. It's impossible. It's a praying church, vibrant in prayer, vibrant in worship, that will be most qualified and empowered to be bright and shining lamps in their cities in their communities and in the nations. So look at something quick, go to Acts chapter 15, verse 16. Anybody provoke? Amen. Look at Acts 15, verse 16, which shows three scriptures, and I'll close with something. 
And we'll pray. Look at this. After this, I will return. This is God speaking. And I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. So what was the tabernacle of David? David pitched a tent in Jerusalem. Hires 288 full-time prophetic singers. Hires 4,000 full-time prophetic musicians. 4,000 full-time administrators. This is a staff of 8,288 people. Funded by King David. Some scholars say it costs them up to 1 billion U.S. dollars a year. Yeah. And for 33 years, they do 24-7 worship. Day and night worship on a hill in Jerusalem. So now God, fast forward, Acts 15, what's happening? Gentiles, for the first time, nations are being saved. Gentiles are being saved. And the apostles, who are all Jews, are kind of, they're a little... What's going on? This is kind of weird. I didn't know. And God says, no, I actually have a strategy. Here's my strategy. At the end of the age, I'm going to restore that same culture of unceasing prayer and unceasing worship that existed in the days of King David. I'm going to restore the singers and the musicians. I will rebuild its ruins. I will set it up, verse 17, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the nations who are called by my name, says the Lord who does these things. God says, no, 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 no. You don't get it. I've got a strategy. I have a, a launching pad for global missions. It's called 24-7 prayer and worship. Friends, what Jamie has been doing for 20 years in Philadelphia is essentially getting the harvest ripe and ready for harvesting. Come on. Come on. Yeah. Let's go to something real quick. Malachi chapter 1. The last book of the Old Testament. Some people say it's, you know, an Italian prophet, Malachi. But in Italian, the CH is pronounced Malachi. So it's not even Italian. Probably from Lancaster. Malachi chapter 1, verse 11. Look at this prophecy that the Lord gives. Verse 11, Malachi chapter 1. For from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles or among the nations. He says, listen, I am going to become the most famous person by the end, at the end of the age in all the world. And I'm not just going to be famous because I'm on the cover of Time magazine. Literally, the earth is going to be swept by a global prayer and worship movement. I'm not just going to be famous. I'm going to be obsessed over. I'm not just going to be famous like Bill Gates. Literally, the nations of the earth are going to fall in love with me. I will be the obsession of the nations. For it's a name shall be great among the nations. In every place, incense shall be offered. And the pure offering to my name says, I'm going to be great. Day and night worship is going to explode all over the earth. How do you think it's going to happen? Jesus is going to spread Jesus dust and all of a sudden people are just going to start singing metal songs. <laughs> like Eddie Van Halen's about to play Eruption and all of a sudden the Lord sprinkles dust and he's singing Build My Life. No. What's going to happen is people that are giving themselves in the place of prayer. They're giving themselves in the place of worship. They're encountering the man Jesus. They're engaging with the beauty of God. They're being provoked. They're so in love with him that they love what he loves. They hate what he hates. They love lost people and they hate hell. So they begin to give themselves in radical, uncomfortable, get off your couch contexts. Yeah. 
And God began to proclaim the gospel. Not because you're a good Christian, but because you love what he loves. Amen. And you hate what he hates. You love people and you hate hell. And so you don't want to see anybody go there. And the Lord begins to prophesy that at the end of the age, we're going to see evangelism like never before, but it's going to be married to prayer and worship like in no other time in history. And it's going to happen all over the world. Because we see this in Matthew 24, Jesus says, this gospel shall be preached to every nation before the coming of the day of the Lord. Somebody's got to get off their butt and go preach the gospel. Can I propose... Can I just, I'll just propose. I'm going to email address. I'll leave it more here. So you can email me if you disagree. Let me just propose is the reason that we're so wishy washy with our faith is because we really don't know the God that we're singing about. Jesus, I don't want to go to hell. Got a few little emotional things here, so help me out. Now, we are in love with this man. What would you do for them? What would you do for your spouse? Or do you love this man? And do, I mean, no, no, do you love? Are you willing to get up an hour earlier in the morning and forsake a little bit of sleep and pray? Amen. Because you're loving. Because it's a, you want to bring him a gift. A little expensive. And, I, and he's Jesus. I want to bring him I want to give him an expensive gift. The most expensive thing I have is my life and my time. And my family. Amen. All the time. I'm not saying this to boss, but I never just give a little bit. All the time people are like, well, now that you're a family man, are you guys considering living a little different? Well, now that you're a family man, are you going to, you know, not go to such dangerous places? And my response is this. Well, it, as far as I know, he's still worth the same thing. Yeah. Amen. Like, as far as I'm like, Jesus, I'm is he worth your lifestyle? Let me provoke you with this. Moravians, out of these places, would give themselves in missions. Their motto was this In essentials, unity. In non essentials, liberty. In all things, love. Daniel, do you want to jump out of the piano? It's one of our last times in worship before the baby comes. <laughs> not bad. I have a bad voice for like nine months pregnant. Like, I, I always tell people, like, we haven't been drinking Coors Light for the last nine months. <laughs> but listen to this. In, if, if, you're, if anything's going to be essential, make it unity. Yeah. Not church doctrine, unity. Because that's where he commands the blessing. That's where the oil runs down the field. In non-essentials, liberty. I, I, I've actually I've been wrestling with this. I think we flipped it. We're more. Can, can I just provoke us? Are we more committed to the Constitution than we are to the Bible? Come on. Are we more committed to the U? I have seen more Christians go into extreme to defend the U.S. Constitution, but I've never seen that level of extreme passion for the Bible. Come on. What if it was better for the gospel to not have a constitution than have a constitution in a weak church? Which would we pay? Which one would we pay? What if it was better for the gospel?
gospel that Joe Biden won in November, would you be okay with that? Can I just, I, let me just do it. <laughs> By the way, I'm a Republican, okay? <laughs> no, I, I think I'm... But did, did you know that there were less abortions under Barack Obama than George Bush? Did you know that? Do you know that every time a Democrat is president, there's less abortions than a Republican is president? My God, that our Jesus is a card-carrying Republican. No, honestly, in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, and he's talking about civil liberty, are we more committed to being civically free than spiritually free? Wow. Are we more committed to freedom of speech than having freedom of speech before the, on the sea of glass, before the throne? Or so, I gotta have my free speech. But you don't even have a consistent prayer life. You don't take it serious. We're Bill of Rights, but you don't even keep the Ten Commandments. Mm. Friends, when the Constitution ceases to exist and there are no Bill of Rights, the Word of God is going to endure forever. Never see their families again. 
There's a story about two young Arabians who were called in 1732 to minister to African slaves on the island of St. Thomas and St. Croix here in the Caribbean. They felt God said, you gotta go preach to the African slaves in these islands. And so they were, all right, we're gonna come. And they were told, you're not allowed to do that. You can't just come here. You can't come to this island. There was a hope. He said, oh, how do we get in? The only way you can get into this island of slaves. So they sold themselves into slavery. Yeah. In all things, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, not They sold themselves into slavery so that they could preach the gospel to slaves in the Caribbean. So the story goes that these guys board a ship for the West Indies and they're standing on the edge of the boat. You've probably heard this story. And there is the community and all their loved ones are gathered and they begin to say, May the Lamb of God slain receive the reward of his sufferings. May the Lamb of God slain receive the reward of his sufferings. May the Lamb of God slain receive the reward of his sufferings. May the Lamb of God slain receive the reward of his suffering. And that's what they hear as the boat takes them away and they come here to give. They are 100%. They will be martyrs. They're going to become slaves to make sure that not an ear, that there's not one people group on the earth that doesn't hear the gospel. That fire wasn't found in a culprit. It was found in a curve. state that it's reaping the fruit of this prayer. That's right. 
So here's what I want you to do. I just want you to close your eyes. I'm not going to do an altar call. I want everybody to respect the time. There's just another church coming in. Just close your eyes for a second. I want you to do two things. Just two things. Number one, I want you to picture yourself right there on the dock. I want you to picture that boat. And I want you to picture those two Moravian men, those two Moravian boys, standing on the ship with their little caskets. And as you're sitting away, just hear them saying, May the Lamb of God slay the sea and reward the suffering. May the Lamb of God slay
who smell apathy from a mile away. Let us be a people that say no to laziness and yes to the cross. Father, let us be a people that say no to Netflix at 7 o'clock on Wednesday and yes to prayer on Wednesday. Let us be a people that say, you know what? It's okay if my children get a whopping hour less of sleep if they're going to be there in the presence of the Lord. On a Friday night healing and deliverance service, on a Wednesday night prayer service. Jesus, let it be a people that are provoked to pray, transform communities. to be in the presence and if you want to work on some of that unity of the brethren we have our cafe outside have a wonderful week